0: You're listening to the fiddling of 2018 National Heritage Fellow, Eddie Bond. And this is Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. I'm Josephine Reed. Eddie Bond is quite simply one of the best old time fiddlers around. He was raised in the small town of Freeze in Grayson County, Virginia, a place known for its extraordinary musical talent. But even in that hotbed of music, Eddie's lineage stands out. He comes from a long line of fine musicians. He was taught by a maternal grandmother who played guitar and sang music handed down for generations. His paternal grandparents played guitar and sang also. Two great-grandfathers played the banjo. A third played the guitar. Eddie himself plays the guitar, banjo, and auto-harp, as well as the instrument he's best known for, the fiddle. He's also a terrific club dancer and a great storyteller. I spoke with Eddie right before the National Heritage concert, and he's just so much fun and such a great talker, we're going to have an extended two-part interview with lots of great music. Next week, we'll learn about Eddie's travels as he plays his fiddle around the country and throughout the world, and the work he also does back home in Freeze. But first, here's a look at his background, the music he loves, and the place he was raised. Eddie, congratulations. Well, thank you so much. Listen, my first question is, what do they put in the
1: water in Grayson County? Well, music. Apparently <laughs> they must. You just grow musicians there. We do, and we're so proud that we have so many young folks nowadays that are interested in learning our music. It was not always that way.
0: Yeah, when did, when did that switch?
1: Um, it has kind of switched around. I think you remember the movie, Old Brother. Remember that of movie? Of course they do. Well, I think that got the spark uh, ignited. Oh interesting. And after that, then, of course, Helen White, who uh, has been a longtime uh, partner of Wayne Henderson, you know, she started a program called the JAM program, which is Junior Appalachian Musicians. And I think she just got that thing started at just the right time, and it's just kept going. I have taught in the JAM program, but the class that I teach now in Grayson County is actually just part of the school curriculum. They have a a string band class that's an elective.
0: And is the class <laughs> packed?
1: Oh, always. Yeah, I, we have to, like, the, I can only take on 25 students, although I sometimes wind up with more, a few more. I'll let a few in if they're really good pickers, yeah. you know, but... Uh, I think I had 67 to sign up for the class this semester, wow. so you see we, we can never accommodate and, and they're trying to figure out now how that I can maybe teach two blocks of string band, but but I, the problem is I teach my other classes a precision machining class. So I've always uh, been a factory worker and a, a machinist by trade. I enjoy that too, I've always worked with my hands. and. I love to uh, teach young folks how to work and do do things, you know, other than play video games.
0: (laughs) Bless you. Before we talk about the music specifically, because the music is so much a part of Grayson County and
1: Freeze, I want
0: you to describe Grayson County and Freeze.
1: Well, of course, we are on the New River, which is the world's second oldest and longest river and one of the few rivers that flows north. So it's a very ancient river, and uh, I, I feel like I can always find some good vibes in, near that river. And Fries itself is a, is a little cotton mill town. It was founded around 1903 by Colonel Francis Henry Fries. And it's spelled F-R-I-E-S, and we call it freeze in the winter and fries in the summer. <laughs> Although if you're from a very hot locale and you came to visit freeze in the summer, you would probably disagree with that. We always have a nice mountain breeze flowing in some fresh, cool air usually, even on the hottest of days. So I know when I was in the military and I, would, I was stationed at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I would come home for the weekend and i'd have to wear a jacket on the weekends because it, it just felt so nice to me but but it's a small place and we we have about 600 folks that live in freeze now the cotton mill shut down in 1987 tragically the freeze we were we were kind of sheltered for many many years in a way especially through hard times like the depression years um, folks who lived in freeze the, the cotton mill washington mills kept going. Even uh, even when they weren't able to sell cloth, they stored it in warehouses. And during the Depression, they, they kept people working and they kept people fed. And it was a great place to be at that time. And my family was there on both sides of my family. And of course, my family goes back farther than Freeze. Uh, we were there long before uh, Freeze was there. We were there all the way from the Revolutionary War days. So, uh, you know, it, it's, it works out that If your family has been in one place for that many years, so that's my family, and and let's say your family's been there for that many years, we're probably cousins, you know. (laughs) So so finding somebody to date was sort of a problem. Uh, I looked up with my wife. We went to high school together, as a matter of fact, but her mother was a foreigner, you see, so... That cut down the odds of us being cousins, but a lot I say foreigner because she was from Nebraska, you see. Oh, that is foreign. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's a great place to grow up. Uh, And of course, there was just so, so many uh, musicians that came out of Freeze, especially in the early days of country music recording. We had Henry Whitter and Pop Stoneman all worked in the Freeze Cotton Mill and Kelly Harrell and... uh, you know you would have to be kind of an old time music nerd to know some of these names i guess but uh, uh, they all recorded henry henry quitter of course we're so proud of henry in freeze because he was actually uh, we we believe the very first country music recording artist that made a record and he went to uh, new york city and made his record
0: can i ask a lame question yes and that is can you tell me the difference between country bluegrass and old time
1: well, yeah, I can sort of answer that question. What we call old-time music today, I would say is on the on the family tree of all that stuff is the grandfather. That's kind of where it all started. Our unique American music all of it came from other countries, of course. And we America has always been a melting pot and the Appalachian Mountains were no different. They, Folks came from Ireland, they brought the fiddle, they came from Africa, they brought the banjo, they came from Spain, they brought the guitars, and they all met here you know, in the mountains and they wanted to play music, so they started playing music together. And it sort of meshed into a new sound. You know, the syncopation of the banjo And the timing of it and all, uh, you know, uh, Mick Maloney, a dear friend of mine who plays Irish music and well-known, of course, in those circles, he'll tell you that Appalachian music is very, very similar to Irish music. It just has a little swing in it, he'll say. (laughs) So I think the banjo did that for it. And then, you know, back in the 1940s, Bill Monroe came along and he sort of took what he had grown up with, the fiddle and the banjo and all that stuff, and he revamped it into something new. He added Earl Scruggs, and Earl Earl Scruggs was not the first banjo picker to ever use picks. But he did invent a new kind of style, a more driving style of banjo playing. And it was hard driving and it it fit so well with what uh, Bill Monroe was wanting to do and they became the Bluegrass Boys and that kicked off a whole new era of music for for us
0: hillbillies (laughs) tell me about your growing up and how music factored into your daily
1: life well music has just been a part of our life for so many years that we don't really think about it a whole lot because um, it's just it becomes ingrained in you it's like it's like going to church it's just something you do regularly and it's it's a fun part of life it's and it's a joyous part of life and um, I compared it to going to church because so many folks in the mountains, you know, uh, that's how we get through hard times, is we depend on the things that bring joy to our lives, like like going to church and and having uh, spiritual foundations, and music is the same thing. It's something that keeps our life stable, and it uh, maybe takes your mind off things sometimes, and uh, music has taken me... To so many places. It's been my best friend all my life. It's been there in the good times and the bad times.
0: The first instrument you played was the banjo.
1: No, no. Uh, the first instrument I, I played was the guitar. My granny was a guitar player, the, the granny that I stayed with most of the time. Uh, my grandpa died when I was five years old and granny didn't want to be by herself. So as uh, often we do in the mountains, one of the kids will st- go stay with granny till she gets used to staying by herself. But Mine never did. She, <laughs> she wanted somebody there. And so I would stay during the week, and my sister would stay on the weekends, which was so lucky for me because and my folks, who I love dearly, by the way, were very religious. And uh, when I got into music more, they, they really did not want me to go into fiddlers' conventions and, and square dances and these places. They wanted me to play only in church. But my granny didn't agree with that, so she kind of overruled them on that. And uh, the older I got, the more I wanted to stay with her on the weekends too because I had access to those places when I was at granny's house. And if I was with my mom and dad, I really didn't. although sometimes they would you know give in and let me go uh, here and here and there with different folks and and, uh, and when I got to be a, I don't know 14 years old or so I joined a clogging team by the way my granny was a wonderful flatfoot dancer and she taught me I, I don't ever remember not being able to dance some of my earliest memories are my granny playing the guitar and singing and I was flatfooting and you know and uh, <laughs> A funny story that I tell sometimes, I can remember going out one night with my, my granny's brother was Uncle Leon, and he played the guitar in in the White Top Mountain Band, which was a well-known old-time band around home. And they often played for square dances and, and different events, and they were having a wagon train, what they call a wagon train. And that's just where all the horse riders that have been riding the trails, they'll gather up in a certain place. And at night, they almost always have music. So uh, they had got Uncle Leon and, and the band to come out and play for them that night. And um, we went out there to hear them. And I can remember they had a little stage about a foot high off the ground that they were up playing on. And Aunt Louise, that was Uncle Leon's wife, uh, set me up on that stage to dance. And I did. And folks were amazed because I was so small, and they would throw quarters at me. (laughs) That was my first paying gig, you know. (laughs) And uh, yeah, back then, my grandma and her store still sold candy for a penny. So a quarter was a lot, you know. So anyway, folks were amazed back then that somebody that small could dance. And now when I dance, they're amazed somebody this large can dance.
0: (laughs) No, you went guitar, banjo, fiddle, is it in that order?
1: That is the order, yeah. Uh, my granny started me when I was about eight years old on the guitar. I was, and, uh, and the reason I was able to start at that age on the guitar was that she had a very small guitar. Uh, it actually belonged to her sister. It was a, a little baby Gibson, you know, which I would love to have that guitar, but I don't know where it's at at this point. But... Uh, yeah, she got me started on that, and I can remember that there was some of the chords that I couldn't quite get, and she would show me these cheater chords that you know, so I had to use those till my fingers got bigger. And, and I took right off on the guitar. Granny mostly played a lot of the Carter Family stuff, and she actually played in that style. What now is a lot of folks describe it as the Carter scratch where you use a a thumb and an index finger instead of a straight pick. And that's how I first learned to play guitar. And then uh, my grandpa Bond, who ran a pawn shop about a half mile out the road, he always had instruments, you know, and uh, he really wanted me to learn to play the banjo because his dad was a banjo player. Now grandpa played the guitar. And he could thump on a banjo a little bit, but not, not a lot. But he mostly played guitar. was a great singer and a great flatfoot dancer also. And uh, him and Grandma, Grandma Bond, that's another whole story. She came from Doc Watson country down in North Carolina. And a, a lot of the old ballads that I learned, I learned from her. And some of those are several verses long, and I love them dearly. I I try to keep them in my head, but I I think they're there to stay mostly. But uh, anyways, uh, that's where she was from, down, down near Deep Gap where Doc Watson grew up. And a lot of the songs that I learned from her are, if not exactly the same, very similar to the Watson family versions also. But Grandpa had a banjo, and he wanted me to learn to play the banjo. Now, he never would write out, give you nothing. He would, he'd say, you know, I have this banjo, and uh, you could take it on and play it and just keep it as long as you want it. But now when you get tired of playing it, you bring it back. <laughs> well, I still have the banjo. Yeah. You know, he died in 1999. And, But anyways, that went on, and and I picked right up on the banjo, no problem. Uh, Took right off, and I'd been playing maybe a year or so when I won a Blue Ribbon at the Freeze Fiddler's Convention on the banjo, so that was going well. The problem I started having was that um, whenever I would try to form a band at the Fiddler's Convention, you were always short a fiddle player. It seemed like there was uh, enough banjo players, guitar players around, but... The fiddle players were either getting too old to come out and play or they were already gone. And there was quite a few older fiddle players still around at that time to learn from, but very few that actually got out to the Fiddlers Convention. So I started thinking, hmm, you know, maybe I might need to try fiddle because it looks like there's going to be a shortage. (laughs) And I was right. Uh, because there, my generation has been called the lost generation of old-time music. There were so few of us in my generation that wanted to to learn to play from the old guys, and so um, I did. I, I well I went back to Grandpa, you know, and he had a fiddle in the shop, and I asked the, about the fiddle. I was hinting, you know, or I said. And he's like, no, no, you don't want to do that. You'll mess up your banjo playing. Leave that thing alone. Don't you even think about it, you know? But I kept on and kept on, and he wouldn't give it to me. He finally said, you know, I think uh, if you want it that bad, I'll let you work it out on the farm. So I said, okay, that's fine. He had a about a 75-acre farm, and he had a lot of fence that needed repairing that summer. And I worked for $2 an hour, and I just about had my fiddle paid off. He wouldn't give it to me until I had it, you know, worked out. So uh, I about had it. I had it within, you know, 30 or $40 of paying it off and I went to the Galax Fiddlers Convention and I won second place in the dancing contest that year and I won enough money to pay my fiddle off. So I got the fiddle and uh, I had no idea there was no fiddle players in my family. Well, there was one, uh, but he wasn't all that great. (laughs) But we had neighbors, two especially that played and uh, they got me started on the fiddle. Again, I just kind of took off on it because the thing is when you grow up hearing this music from birth, all the tunes were already in my head. So it was just a matter of working them out on your fingers. (laughs) And did you love the fiddle immediately? Oh, immediately, yeah.
0: Here's a question I have for you. Because you're you're an excellent banjo player, an excellent fiddler. When do you reach for one instrument rather than the other? What does the fiddle give you that the banjo doesn't, and what does the banjo give you that the fiddle doesn't?
1: Hmm, well, now there are some of the old ballads that I learned from Grandma, for example, that I can play them on the fiddle, but I, I learned them playing the banjo. And I, it just seems more natural for me to play the banjo when I'm singing those tunes. And the same with the fiddle, of course. Now, I know many, many, many more tunes on the fiddle than I do on the banjo at this point. Because there there came a point when I kind of laid the banjo down and, and just started solely concentrating on the fiddle. I could fake them on the banjo, but I wouldn't be doing them justice, you know. <laughs> Uh, so there, there are lots of tunes that I'd much prefer to play on the fiddle. But I enjoy playing all all those instruments still, and I play auto harp also. My grandma, Bond, played; had an auto harp and played that a little bit. And, uh, uh, of course, the, I grew up... Uh, the Carter family was sort of idolized by my family on both sides, I think, and um i i'll never forget the first time i got to go to the carter family fold in in hilton's virginia to play that was to me like going to the grand Ole opry because they had been put up on such a pedestal by my family that it was um just a huge huge event and jeanette and joe carter were still alive back then and it was like meeting the president to meet those people (laughs) (laughs) The New Ballard's Branch Bogtrotters. Can you tell me about
0: this band's lineage and its name?
1: (laughs) Yes. So the original Bogtrotters were the Galax Bogtrotters back in the 1920s and 30s. That was Uncle Eck Dunford. His name was Alexander, but they called him Eck for short. And, of course, the Ward brothers and Dr. Davis. That was the original Bogtrotters. And uh, they won the very first Galax Fiddlers Convention in 1935. Now Uncle Eck Dunford is sort of the connection to the old Bogtrotters and the new Bogtrotters. So Dennis Hall is the the band leader for our band, the New Ballards Branch Bogtrotters. Uncle Eck, his wife died young and he never remarried, so he had no children and no family. So the Hall family, kind of took him in and uh, took care of him. So in 1986, um, when Dennis wanted to form a new band, Uncle Eck lived on a little creek called Ballard's Branch. And and Dennis also lives on that, that same little creek. So Uncle Dennis wanted to revive the name in honor of Uncle Eck. So he, he decided it was going to be the new Ballard's Branch Bog Trotters and now do you know what a bog trotter is i
0: was going to ask what is a bog trotter
1: (laughs) (laughs) so a bog trotter is a term that's still used today in northern ireland and in uh, southwestern scotland and uh, it's a derogatory name it was used at the time for ulster scots who had moved into ireland and taken over the land, you know, and they didn't want them there. So see, they had hopped across the bog and took over and that was a a nasty name. They called them the bog trotters, you know, they were sort of invading their space. And so, of course, a lot of the folks in Appalachia were Ulster Scots. So that's a name that came over with them when they when they left there and came to America that they embraced and Uncle Eck was Ulster Scott and he spoke in Red Gaelic. Uh-huh. and read Gaelic and there's still some of those old books uh, that are written in Gaelic in his cabin today
0: and there we are and there we are <laughs> and how long have you been playing with them?
1: I, I started playing in 2001 I believe <laughs> me was uh, my distant cousin Greg Hooven was the fiddler. He was the original fiddler with Uncle Dennis and I say Uncle Dennis because that's an honorary title. I'm actually not any kin to Dennis Hall at at all that I know of but uh, he is my uncle.
0: (laughs) Well you've won so many awards at at fiddle conventions but you won two all around best all around at Galax which is big
1: it's huge yeah i don't know it's like winning a grammy if you play all-time music you know yeah Uh, so yeah that that was huge and those those things are great and and it's i think i told somebody this yesterday they asked me what i thought about contests playing and um, i said well they're good and they're bad i think when i was young i took them so seriously you you live for the fiddle contest it's all it's like it consumes you You want that blue ribbon. So it makes you practice more. It makes you strive to be better. It's kind of the driving force. You know, it's the carrot on the stick, so to speak. But then I've also, you know, I've seen it break up friendships. Uh, There's some people who take it too far and they take it too seriously. And I tell all my students, if you're gonna play old time music, especially old time, then, Make sure that you're really enjoying it, that you're having a good time, because that's the the biggest thing that you get out of this music. You're not going to get rich. You're probably not going to be able to make a living at it. Make sure that you're enjoying it. Make sure that you're taking good care of your friends. If you can't do that, then quit.
0: That was 2018 National Heritage Fellow, old-time fiddler Eddie Bond. Next week, we'll hear about Eddie's time in the Army, playing the fiddle while he was deployed during the Gulf War, his time in Ireland, and his crossing the country as part of the Crooked Road Tours. Be sure to listen. This has been Artworks, the weekly podcast produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Subscribe to Artworks wherever you get your podcast and leave us a rating on Apple. It helps people to find us. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening.